Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. So glad to be here today. Glad you guys are here. I hope everyone had a happy new year. Uh, I know some people I talked to uh, on New Year's Day, they were like, we celebrated East Coast New Year. So like it was 11 o'clock our time, 12 o'clock, they didn't say 11.05, they were in bed, right? They watched the ball drop, they went to bed, everything was great, but I hope everyone had a great new year, and uh, I'm excited about this year at your, at your place, church, and like they said, we did begin the fast today. It was funny, my son, my youngest, Tyson, gets up this morning and he tells Tyra, he's like, you know what, you know why winter feels so long? He says, because we're starving for three weeks of it, right? It's, that's why it feels like it just never ends. But uh, again, it, it, is, it is 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, Taylor said it today during prayer uh, before service. He said, you know what? If you take the prayer part out of it, then it's just a really sucky diet. That's really what it is. It's not, it's not even worth doing, really. So the prayer part is huge. And so uh, we invite all of you to be a part of the prayer and fasting with us. In fact, maybe you're new with us and you've never done this before and you'd like some information, you'd like some resources. Well, our friends at Church of the Highlands have posted a webpage. It's simply 21 days, plural, days, dot churchofthehighlands.com. And so if you want to go to 21days.churchofthehighlands.com, they'll give you all kinds of resources for you. If you're, if you're zealous, like some of us here at the church, we're doing the whole no meat, sweets, dairy, bread, like it's just vegetables and fruit for some of us. And so they'll kind of give you some menus that you can use to kind of get you through. Some people are doing like full-fledged water fasts. I'm not quite there, you know what I mean? Um, but I would encourage everyone to do something. Uh, even, if it's, even if it's just cutting social media out for 21 days, or maybe if you, uh, if you have a certain, you know, a certain show, gotta watch your program. You know, my program comes on. That's what my grandma used to say. You gotta watch my program. Uh, if you wanna cut that out of your life for the 21 days, maybe DVR that and catch up afterwards. Everybody can do something, and it's not too late. Just because we've already started doesn't mean that you can't start. This is day one. So just do something. And I genuinely believe that you will hear the voice of God like you've never heard him before during these next 21 days of prayer and fasting. Today, we're going to slow down a little bit. I know a lot of us, we come out of the holidays, we just kind of want to hit the ground running. It's a new year, it's a new you, right? Let's go. Uh, But I just really felt in my heart this sense, actually it was last July, I was was in a, a moment of, actually I was... I was, um, I'd taken a few weeks off, uh, and I'd spent extended time in the presence of God, and I really felt in my heart that the Lord spoke to me about January's series, about what we're supposed to talk about today, tomorrow, and the next weekend. And so here's something that you need to understand about the character and the nature of God. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? He is living in your tomorrow just as much as you're living in your today. Like he knows no time, right? He just sees, he sees what we're going to be going through months, years before we do. And so God knew what you were going to be going through in January. And he knew you were going to be here today or watching online or listening to the podcast. And so he's intentionally 
I believe architecturally pointed and, and, and presented this message right here before we go into 2019 for, for a reason. And so we want to lean into that today. I believe that God has a word that's a right now word for us. So we're going to just seek God as we, uh, as we progress through this series. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we're so thankful for what you're doing in the hearts and in the lives of the people of your place, church. Father, I got a lot to say today. I got a lot to say. But Father, I, it's not so much what I'm saying as what, as what the people are hearing. So Father, through my words, through the notes on the screen, through the direction that you've laid on my heart, God, my prayer is, is that the people genuinely hear you. God, let this not just be another message, just not another weekend, another series, God, but take these first few weeks of 2019 and really dig inside of each and every one of us. And I thank you that it starts today in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a movie came out several years ago. Have, has anybody seen the animated movie WALL-E? About the little, the little robot, right? Lives on the trash planet, which I believe is the earth. Uh, so... You know, it's years in the future, and he walks, and he puts trashes in his little compartment, squishes it, makes these little bricks out, right? Finds little trinkets, takes it back to his little hidey hole. And uh, one day, this, this, this robot, this, this uh, uh, spy robot, if you will, or this research robot comes down, and, and we know it's a girl. Like, I don't know how we know it's a girl. We just know it's a girl. It's like a high-pitched sound that, that she makes. And so, like, Wally, the little trash robot, and this girl, they fall in love. It opens a whole field of questions, which we don't have time to go into right now. But the thing that I, that I found interesting about the movie Wally was in the entire human race had boarded a cruise liner, if you will. It was a spaceship, and everybody got on it, right? And so they were all up in space, and they were sending this little, this little robot to, to see if the Earth had had the potential to regenerate itself, right? Can we come back home? But we get the impression that they've just been up there for just generations and everybody kind of forgot about Earth and life had gone on. So they're all hovering around in these little hover wheelchair looking like deals. They had everything they needed. They had a computer screen and there's thousands of them on this little space liner, if you will, and they're watching movies, they're talking to each other, who's probably right next to each other, but they're talking to each other on the screen, and it was just this, they're all a little bit lethargic, you know what I mean? Even though there was like swimming pools, no one was in the pools, everybody was in their little media chair, and you could tell, because there was so much happening on the ship, they were too distracted by the screen to even pay attention about what's happening in, in all around them. And you know, I got to thinking, they were distracted. Is it possible that we, the reason why that was so funny is because it hits a little too close to home. You know what I'm saying? We all kind of get a little distracted from time to time. Is it possible that we ourselves, like, is that a glimpse of our future? Are we too distracted? Are we becoming too distracted? You know, in early American history, we have all sorts of examples of white, English-educated colonists 
who have come to civilize the new world. That's what they say. We're going to civilize the new world. So they would leave their cities and they would join the indigenous people of the East Coast, right? And we'd have, we have uh, all kinds of recorded history of, of women and children getting captured by the indigenous tribes. And they're forcing them to live among the tribes to only be rescued by their friends, right? To come back, they're rescued, but by their own free will, flee their rescuers and actually run back into the forests to the people who captured them in the first place. In fact, Benjamin Franklin recorded this in 1753. Though ransomed by their friends and treated with all imaginable tenderness to prevail with them to stay among the English, yet in a short time they become disgusted with our manner of life and take the first good opportunity of escaping again into the woods. So we have these two, this, 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 this example, if you will, this of, of, of indigenous people leaving, you know, uh, we, people leaving the city to go live with these indigenous people, but we don't have any examples of indigenous people coming to live in the city. Tarzan was fiction, all right? Mowgli, fiction, okay? We don't have any real-life examples of people who are, who are from an indigenous tribe leaving the tribe and coming to live among us, which is interesting to me because if you think about it, even, even our own people who went to Uganda last year, they came back from that trip admiring the people of Uganda. They were like, the pace is just different. The people there love each other and they love community. Hector de Corvacor, I can't say that, that's, that's him. Uh, in 1782, he said this, and please forgive the political incorrectness of his statement. It's a little crude. He said, thousands of Europeans are becoming Indians, and we have no examples of even one of those aborigines having from choice become European. So we see these two groups of people, one of which is living what we would consider back in the Stone Age, and the other is living in our modern world, and yet the road only goes one way. Why? What is it? What have they figured out? I believe that there is something about our modern society that is toxic. Go with me, friends. For all of our science and our education and our advancement and our government and our health care, which is all great, don't hear what I'm not saying, modern society still does something to the soul. Are you with me, friends? Don't leave me up here by myself, okay? Give me a little amen or go get him, preacher. Wave a hanky or something. Let me know. Let me know I'm, a, I'm amongst friends, okay? It's true. In fact, 2007, so think back, 2007 is possibly a year that will go down in history as one of the most influential years in all of record-keeping, next to 1440 when the printing press was made, right? What happened in 2007? Steve Jobs 
released the iPhone to the world. And so now we have this iPhone, and, and Facebook actually was released. It came off the college campus and kind of was released to anybody, opened up to anybody who had an email address. Twitter, the, the, the famous communication app Twitter, came out. It's roughly about the time that the cloud came out, the app store came out. So 2007, quite possibly, was the beginning of the digital age that we live in. It was the start date. And if you're 20 or so, you don't remember a world without having eternity in the palm of your hand. You don't remember that. If you're older than 20, you remember sitting on a plane and staring out the window. You remember waiting in line at a restaurant and people watching, right? You remember, you know, going someplace and, and, uh, and you, you know, they had this thing in the late 90s called boredom. I, I know, some of you, you've never been bored. I grew up with boredom. It's actually a real thing. We were bored back in the 90s. I mean, if we had a snow day, it was the greatest day of all time. We would go home. We would put on our warm clothes. If it actually snowed in Oklahoma, we would build forts. We would have snowball fights. We would only come back in to nourish our bodies and thaw out our toes, only to go back out and play all day long. Now, if we have a snow day, and heaven forbid we lose Wi-Fi, we're shooting flares up in the air, right? Come save me, someone. Why? Why have we become so distracted? Why does some... We can't imagine living with something that did not exist a decade ago. And don't get me wrong. There's all kinds of pros to the digital age. I mean, I'm a fan uh, Uber, like, like I'm a fan of Uber. We Ubered around in New York. Maps, great, loved it. We, we navigated New York with our maps. FaceTime, love the modern advancements. All, all sorts of pros to the digital age. But nobody actually really considers the cons of our digital modern age or world. For instance, researchers are, are, are saying that our attention span is dropping from year to year. In fact, one report says that we've gone from 12 seconds to 8 seconds, okay? Which my thought was, seriously, 12 seconds was the high point of our attention span? But it's true, and it's all because of this digital age. We live in what researchers are calling the attention economy, where literally thousands of apps and other platforms are trying to distract us. Tristan Harris, a former product philosopher and software analyst who uh, worked for, well, we'll just say a large internet conglomerate currently buying up acres in Pryor, Oklahoma. That's what we'll say. We'll say that. So he worked for this company, left the industry, started a nonprofit with the sole purpose of arguing for Hippocratic Oath for software designers because he had seen behind the, the, the curtain on what Silicon Valley is doing. He said, right now there are 20-somethings who are being paid to intentionally engineer software, apps, and devices with the sole purpose of distracting and addiction. B. 
because that's where the money is to be made. And so this is happening right here, right now. In fact, pretty much the only place you can be alone uh, with your thoughts is in the shower. I said last service, once, you know, they make a waterproof Apple Watch, it'll, it'll be the beginning of the apocalypse. And then someone told me, oh, they actually have one. <laughs> like, you can take a shower with your Apple Watch. We're doomed, okay? So it's, it's the only thing I got to say. We'll never have an original creative thought again. Why does this matter? This new addiction, if you will, is robbing us of the ability to be present. It's robbing us of the ability to be with ourselves. More than anything, it is robbing us of our ability to be with God. And in doing so, it's robbing us of our souls. Andrew Sullivan is a theorist and author. He did a provocative essay in the New York Times Magazine that he titled, I Used to Be Human, in which case he talks about uh, going to this meditation camp. Um, First thing he did was he dropped his mobile device in a box, and it was a digital detox. And again, the whole, the whole article is a good read, but if you get all the way down his last paragraph of his essay, he said this, there are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. And I realize that this is, in some ways, just another tale in the vast book of human frailty. But this new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much our minds, even as they shape shift under the pressure. The threat, he writes, is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget that we have any. And I can't help but think of Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 16. Verse 26, what good will it be for someone if they gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? And it's more than the fact that we're over busy, that we're in a rush, that we all live with kind of this low-grade anxiety that our immune systems are kind of wreaking havoc. It's more than all of that. It includes that, but it's more than that. It's about our spiritual lives. We feel at distance with the God that we were created for. And we're distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Is there a practice from the way of Jesus? Is there a time-tested way of life that would set us up to thrive in the middle of the chaos of noise on a world bent on distracting us? I would say, yes, there is, and it's called Silence and solitude. The Lord spoke to me about this when I was on my silence and solitude retreat last July. You know, Matthew 13 here, 
um, we see the launch of Jesus' ministry. He's come to John the Baptist to be baptized. We see heaven and, uh, and heaven is, the heavens are open. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. We have this whole moment where God, everybody hears God say, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased, right? Well, if you turn the page over to chapter 4, verse 1, we see that the Holy Spirit now, after this, after this encounter with John the Baptist and his baptism and all this thing, right, the Holy Spirit now leads Jesus into the desert or the wilderness, right, for 40 days to be tempted. In fact, chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. So the very first thing that Jesus does, he gets baptized. He has this incredible experience. He goes into the wilderness. He fasts 40 days. The Holy Spirit leads him there. And this whole thing just happens. Well, the word wilderness in the Greek is the word oremos. Oremos. And it means the wilderness or the desert, but it also means a quiet place or a desolate place, or my personal favorite, a lonely place. You know, when I first read this story back when I was cutting my teeth, and I'm just going to be honest, up until recent times, every time I read this story, it always bothered me a little bit. Why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the desert for the sole purpose of being tempted, right? I knew that Jesus had to go toe-to-toe with the devil. Like, I knew that whole thing had to happen. Um, But why did the wilderness Why to fasting for 40 days and then again this head-on clash with the devil? And for years, this story confused me because I read the story this way. The tempter comes to Jesus in his weakness. He's been 40 days alone. He's tired. He's hungry. He's weak. I mean, isn't that typical of the enemy when you've had a long, hard week, kind of at your wit's end, the car breaks down, the toilet overflows, ruins the floor, right? And then all of a sudden the devil comes. Man, what a jerk, right? That's that's the way I read this. But I realized recently I've been reading this backwards. The Oremos isn't a place of weakness. It's actually a place of strength. The Spirit led Jesus into the Oremos because at the end of 40 days, Jesus was actually at the height of his spiritual powers. And then, and only then, did he have the strength needed to take on the devil. If you read over in Mark chapter 1, you'll see that this is essentially Jesus' first day on the job as the Messiah. It's been a marathon day. He gets up early. He's been with the people preaching and teaching all day long. We get to the end of verse 34. The sun's going down. Jesus is still at it. Verse 35, very early in the morning, While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to, in Greek, the Oremos, or solitary place, where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. 
Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I've come. See, we begin to see a pattern in Jesus' ministry. Baptism, 40 days in silence and in solitude, right? Comes back for one day on the job, goes right back into the Aramos. And he gets himself fresh and rejuvenated. The Aramos wasn't just a one-time thing. It was woven into the fabric of Jesus' everyday life. Mark chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that had been done and taught. And so Jesus is high-fiving people, right? But look what happens, verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat. Have you ever been there? Life is so busy, you don't even have a chance to eat. It's like, yeah, it's called having a two-year-old, right? Or, or it's because, you know, working a full-time job and still going to college full-time. Or it's trying to get this career off the ground. Whatever it is, right? We've all been there. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's binge watch Netflix all night long. Right? Let's get out of town. Let's blow this joint. Let's go and just deep, you know, decompress someplace. No, that's not what he said. He said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a Ramos or solitary place. In other words, what you really need is not a movie night or a girl's night out on the town, it's, it's time with me, or Jesus, right? You need a quiet place. Verse 33 says, But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from the towns and got there ahead of them. So just, just when they thought they could kind of cut away, get to a lonely place, the people see them kind of like paddling out for the other side, they run around the cove, right? They run around the lake, and they get to the other side, and again, here are all these people. This was an introvert's nightmare, right? They just wanted to be alone. So they ministered there. Verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And I used to read about these accounts, and I used to think, man, Jesus is a really spiritual dude. You know, it's, it's all-night prayer vigils, right? But in context, I don't think Jesus was just having all-night prayer vigils. I think because he was so, for lack of a better word, busy, we might say fool, the reality of people, and they're so hungry, and they're just wanting a touch from God, and they're always coming after him. I think Jesus would just send people away and he would go and he would restore his soul. If Jesus can do it, so can I. So can you. Amen, everyone? Ramos. He knew that he needs that time, even more than he needed sleep. And we all know that Jesus likes sleep. We see account after account of it. Jesus is asleep in the boat, right? Luke chapter 5, verse 15 says this, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of the people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to the Aramos and prayed. So again, often withdrew. 
It was a regular part of Jesus' life. In fact, if you study the Gospel of Luke in particular, the more Jesus taught, preached, healed, cast out devils, the more he would go to the lonely places and restore himself. And if you're like me, we have a tendency that once we get busy, the first thing to go is prayer or time alone with Jesus. But that's when we need him more, not less. The Oremos was a regular part of Jesus's rhythm. Well, this practice of Jesus getting away has been come to be known as silence and solitude. And here's a working definition of silence and solitude that we will sort of frame up the next few weeks here at Your Place Church. Silence and solitude is intentional time in the quiet place to be alone with ourselves and with God. Intentional time in the quiet place to be alone with ourselves and with God. You know, a word on each of these, silence and solitude. Silence is two-dimensional. There's an external silence and an internal silence. External would simply mean we would go someplace where there's no noise, right? No music, no TV. We go out in nature. Maybe it's a, a, your room. You put on some noise-canceling headphones. It's just, it's quiet. I think being quiet in itself is a spiritual discipline. Just being able to sit there in the quiet with, with, you don't have to pray, you don't have to read, you don't have to journal, but just be quiet. In fact, there's been times I've been at home up in our bedroom upstairs, our, we have this round chair at the end of our bed that overlooks our patio and ultimately the lake. And I'll be sitting on that little round chair and I'll be spending time with the presence of God, I'll be maybe writing a message, praying about you. And about that time, it's like Tyson's gone off to school, Taliana's off at her job, and I don't know where Tyra's gone, but it's almost like a quietness just falls on the house. And I just kind of sit there in that moment. We have this little point on the edge of our property that goes out and kind of opens up through the trees, the pine trees, to the, see the Kerr Dam and the sunset going down over there. And there's been times that I've intentionally left my phone back at the house and I've just walked through those trees. We have this little bench there. And I'll sit there in the quietness. And it restores my soul. Are you with me, friends? See, quietness, there is an external quietness. But there's also a internal quietness. It's a mind that just won't slow down. It's the fantasy, the revenge, the hate, the bitterness. It's the what ifs. It's the squirrel, right? And all of that we have to live with. It's not just physical noise. There's an internal noise. Silence, as life-giving as it is and as healing as it is, is really hard. What does it say about us that we can't go on a run without headphones in or 
have to have the TV on while we fold laundry. There's something about silence that makes us nervous. It's almost like we're running from something, this external or this internal noise. Well, then there's solitude, and the two really go together. I don't think you can have silence without solitude. Solitude is not the same thing as loneliness or isolation. Richard Foster wrote in his book, loneliness is is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Wayne Cordero is a pastor who pastors in Hawaii. He wrote a book on burnout, and he said it this way. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. They may contain similar characteristics, but in reality, they are worlds apart. Solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. See, in silence and in solitude, we decompress from the noise, the traffic, the chaos, the emptiness, the busyness of our nonstop modern world. We slow down long enough to feel emotions that we've been running from. We try to catch up. We face the good and the bad and the ugly of our own heart. We face our hunger or thirst for God or our lack of hunger for God. We face our insecurity. We face our fantasy. We face our idolatry. Everything that lies beneath the surface of our life. We face our weird motivations, the addictions that we just just have to have to make it through life. And all of it is exposed, but in a safe place with our Heavenly Father. In solitude, we hear the voice of God cutting through all the other voices. Your parents' voice, your kids' voice, the blog, the podcast, your boss, the world, the enemies. We cut through it all and we see the truth and we see the lies. It's like we get a right perspective. In silence and solitude, we come to a new place of freedom. Our failures and our successes begin to lose their power over us, as does the tyranny of the approval or disapproval of others. In silence and in solitude, we come home to ourselves and to God. And if we're not getting enough silence and solitude, then all of a sudden we find ourselves distant from God. We end up living through someone else's close relationship with God through a podcast or a teaching or a book or an Insta feed. And we feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of who we are. We lose sight from our calling. We lose sight of our our perspectives. We get sucked into the urgent instead of the important. We get, we're running all the time on a will that never gets us anywhere. We get sucked into escaping, not engaging because we run out of energy to do the things that are actually life-giving, like prayer, like community in our life groups, things that are life-giving to us. And we turn to Netflix or to food or to alcohol 
or to Xanax or to porn or whatever your drug of choice is, right? Because we're distracted by all of this. And we become emotionally unhealthy. We start to live reactionary lives and the small things begin to get to us. That comment from your husband or roommate or coworker that triggers a, a response from you or your temper or we sulk or we get anxious, whatever. These are the signs and the symptoms of a life without silence and solitude. We need to recapture this practice. And again, I know it's, it's intimidating for some. And I'm not talking about you have to go on a 48-hour silence retreat. I think that's great. Me and several of our staff have done those. And honestly, it's what has sparked this thing that is on the inside of me now. But it's not that. It's 10 minutes on your drive to, to the office where you just shut everything off and you be with God. It's going to bed a little bit early and instead of turning the TV on to fall asleep, we sit in the silence. Well, pastor, I need that TV. If I'm going to go to sleep, I'll never go to sleep. TV's not on. It's because you're distracted. It's because your mind's running 100 miles an hour and you need to distract yourself just so we can fall asleep. Silence and solitude. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to press pause. Before making that business decision, before changing jobs, before you make that investment or that career change or dive headlong into that relationship, press pause on what we want and what we think is right. Because let's just face it, coming out of the chaos of Christmas, not too many of us are in a place where we, could, we should be making life-altering decisions right now. Like, we need to be in His presence. Before we settle into the rhythm of 2019, we're going to press pause and we're just going to take time to talk with and to hear from our Heavenly Father. Which is why we're opening the church up all this week, Monday through Thursday, 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. You're like, why 1? Because we still got stuff to do around here. <laughs> and 6 a.m., most, most of us, we get up about that time, like get up a little earlier, come here. We might have some, we might have some quiet music playing just to, just to create space or create an atmosphere. If you want silence, you might want to bring some headphones. But just make it a priority. Trust me. Trust your pastor. This works. Then on Saturdays, we're going to come together. We're going to be led in song. We're going to lead you in a time of prayer. All three Saturdays of the fast, it's going to be really, really good. Get yourselves to a place where you can hear God again. Amen? Father, we press pause. We all came out of the new year chomping at the bit, ready to go, ready to get things done. We've got goals to achieve. We've got dreams to make happen and new opportunities that come with the new year. 
But Father, we have made a decision that before we launch into those things that we think are right, we're going to press pause. We're going to get ourselves to this place of quietness. We're going to quiet the the external noise and the internal noise. And we're going to hear from you. We long for this. We desire this. And so we're going to make it a matter of priority. Father, lead us. For some people who've never heard your voice, God, this is going to be that moment that they hear with clarity your voice inside of them. Lead us, Father, in Jesus' name. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the next couple of weeks, and we're just going to unpack this a little further. Join us. You know you want to. Just join us. Maybe, maybe, you, you know, maybe you don't fast and pray or whatever, but still, just come. Just come. Be a part. Let us continue to lead you into this. Last week, I told you that I was going to give you a little bit of a building update. Um, I promised I would, so I'm going to go ahead and just kind of tell you uh, where we're at with that. We are experiencing a little bit of a delay when it comes to getting our permits and our approvals to just bring heavy equipment in here and destroy. And it's my understanding that it's the entire state of Oklahoma that is experiencing this. There's a little bit of delay in issuing some of these permissions, if you will, to just go hog crazy over here. So we actually got with our builders and um, we got permission from them to just start doing it ourselves a little bit. And so some of the fellas have come up to us and have said things like, man, can we just do it? Man, I just want to throw a hammer through a wall. Can I just throw a hammer through? I just like a sledgehammer. You know what I mean? They just kind of want to go Olympic style and whatever. And so we've got permission and we know what walls are going to be demoed. We know like all the ceiling tile and insulation's got to come out. Like all of that stuff's got to happen anyway. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a cool name. I'm not going to say demo crew because that's lame. But you know what I mean? Something, the roughnecks or I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with something. And you want to be a part of that? If you'll just email us at office at ypcprior.com and let us know that you're interested. We'll email you back. We'll let you know the days that we're going to be slinging stuff. And uh, the upside is we won't have to pay for that portion of the demo. Woohoo! And um, it'll happen faster. So when those permits do get approved and we're, we've got the green light to come in here and start really doing some stuff, we'll be that much more ahead of the game. So email us if you're interested in that. And then I also told you last week that I was going to let you know how much came in on our one big give weekend. And so... We had roughly just over $10,000 come in for that. And so we can celebrate that. Amen. Everything that weekend, we said we were going to give away and throughout that whole week. So again, it was just a little over $10,000 that came in. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor, you said you wanted to give away you know, $50,000. I do. But what you don't know is we actually have about $38,000 separated into what we consider our, we call it our God account. And this is money for the sole purpose of giving it away. And we've been stockpiling it in there. So the 38 with the 10 is $48,000. We're like $2,000 away from our $50,000 give. Amen. Amen. 
And so we're good for it. We're good for it. I mean, it may take us a week or two to, to build it up, but we'll give it away. We will give away the full $50,000. Mark my words. And uh, God's going to be really good. So we're, we're thankful for that. And it's because you guys are generous uh, that we're able to do that. So we're going to go ahead and receive our morning's uh, tithes and offerings. It's fun because on this side of what I get to do, I get to hear all the stories of all the people who in the last 12 months have begun trusting God with their finances. And I get to hear stories of, of raises and bonuses and promotions. And oh my gosh, pastor, you've got to see this Christmas bonus I got this year. Or man, I got this job. It was just handed to me. It's my dream job. Well, they connect it and thank God for it. They all connect it back to when they started trusting God with their giving. And they started skimming off the tithe as the first fruit and then trusting God to give anything over. And every single one, guys, I can tell you, I could, I could line them up on, on, on a Sunday morning right here and we could just pass the microphone down. Someone caught me this morning and talked about how uh, the Lord, they had lost their washer and the Lord had impressed someone to give them a certain amount of money. And they said, you know, get what you need and then pay your bills with the rest. And so they got them a new front loader washer and had money left over and God's just blessing them. Why? Because we're trusting God with our finances. Amen, everyone. So I'm just telling you what I always tell you. You just be led. Give God the first and then be led with the rest. And I'm telling you, you will be the story that comes up to me. And can't wait to get to church one weekend so you can tell me how God's blessing your socks off. Amen. Stand up with us. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.